Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Hey, well, good morning. My name is Tom Scott. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good to see you guys. Happy Watermelon Festival. Good to be here. I'm Tom Scott. I'm one of the elders here, and I have a question for you as we get started this morning. You'll see it on the screen. My question is, what is it about Christianity that sets it apart from other world religions? What is it that makes Christianity distinct from Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever it might be, whatever religious system that there might be in the world, what makes it distinct? Now, here's how I would answer that question, because by the very core of religion, there is this sense of where we as human beings are trying to do something, where we're striving to try to get on God's good side. Every religion has its laws, and it has its commandments, and it has its path to God. It has someone in history that's talking to us about what the good deeds are that we need to do in order to be in God's good graces. But historic Christianity is different from that. The New Testament makes clear that we could never do enough community service. We could never give enough donations to charities. We could never do enough religious and ritualistic types of deeds or say enough prayers in order to get on God's good side. We need another solution because we can't climb that mountain to God. We can't get to that pinnacle of religious perfection. And so the history of humanity is in search of perhaps a new solution because religion becomes very exhausting. And so the Bible goes on to tell us that there is another solution, and that solution is the fact that God has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful for that? Jesus Christ came and he satisfied the holy requirements of a God that we on our own could never reach, but Jesus could. We couldn't climb that mountain to get to God, but praise him, he came down off that mountain and came to us. In the Christmas story, the angel says that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. He comes from heaven to earth so that we as sin-filled human beings can go from earth to heaven, to be with him. He's done for us what we could never do for ourselves by dying on a cross and resurrecting from the grave. Now, with this basic overview of Christianity, I think that there's another question that needs to be asked following the one that I stated earlier. And that question is, does God require anything from us? I mean, he, he came down the mountain. He took care of the requirements of God's holy law. But is there anything that he requires of us? I think that that's a, a critically important question that we need 
to consider as we go into our message here this morning. Does God simply send his son Jesus into the earth, uh, onto the earth to take our sins on his shoulders, to die on a cross, and then ask for nothing in return? The Bible gives us an answer, but I'm not going to answer it right now, okay? I'm going to ask us just to kind of set that aside because there's some other ground that I want us to cover as we dive back into the book of Luke. We've been talking about the, the book of Luke. We've been following Jesus around. We've been looking at his followers. We've been looking at what it takes in order to be a disciple of Jesus in the book of Luke. And so I want us to go back to the book of Luke. We're going to look in Luke chapter 8. And so there are three things that I would like us to cover over these next couple of minutes as we get into the the scriptures here today. The first thing that I want us to do is I want to give us a big picture. I want to give us a 30,000 foot view of the book of Luke and some of the events and some of the things that have happened in the life of Jesus that brought him to where we're going to go here in Luke chapter 8. So we'll look next at the first three verses of Luke chapter 8 where I want to show you the traveling king and his followers. And then the last thing, the third thing that I want us uh, to do is to unpack some profound lessons from the parable of, uh, of the, the seed and the soil. So if you guys are okay with that, let's, let's go ahead and dig into the Bible. Let's talk about this big picture or get this 30,000-foot view. Jesus, who uh, most of us know, who by training was a, a carpenter, uh, he, he leaves the wood shop. He, he's no longer a part of the family business of carpentry. Uh, he's now an itinerant uh, preacher who uh, is starting to receive a lot of attention. I mean, even from the very beginning, this carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus is starting to get on people's radar. And I want to give you just a couple of examples of that in, in the book, book uh, of Luke. First, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, talks about the baptism of Jesus. And it says, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit de- descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. Now, I'm going to stop right there because I want you to put yourself on this particular day along the banks of the Jordan River, observing one person after the other, being baptized by John the Baptist, going down into the water, coming up out of the water. And there's this one particular man. He goes down and he comes up. And when he does, the heavens open, something like a dove descends upon him. And then there's this voice from heaven that says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. All right, you're standing there. Is this going to get your attention? I know that it would get mine, especially that voice. I don't know about you, but I don't hear voices from heaven. But here, Jesus, as he comes up out of the water, the heavens open, and there's this voice. Jesus, even before he officially launched his ministry, was obviously one who was blessed and anointed of God as God's spirit comes upon him and as the heavens open to him. If we go over to another, the next chapter in Luke chapter 4, verse number 33, 
We can see where Jesus is beginning to teach in the town of, of Capernaum. And uh, he's confronted by a wild man, a demon-possessed guy. I'm not sure what that noise is, but we're going to keep going. And as Jesus is uh, in Capernaum, he's uh, teaching the people, and this demon-possessed man approaches uh, Jesus. And this is a little bit scary. I don't know if it's an everyday occurrence for you, but, you know, demon-possessed people seem a little scary to me. And uh, he begins yelling at the top of his lungs, and he starts to say, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And without delay, without hesitation, Jesus steps up. And he says to him, Be quiet, come out. I especially like how the King James Version says this. The King James Version says, Hold thy peace and come out. Isn't that proper? I think it was more like, shut up and get out. Because when you're confronting demons, you're not worried about manners, okay? It was, be quiet and come out. And this man is thrown to the ground. The demons start coming out of him. And he is laying there in front of the entire crowd to see. And he is uninjured. Now, I think you would agree with me that had you seen this, had you been a witness of this particular event, it would have gotten your attention. Something is very different about this man, Jesus. Over in Luke chapter 4, verses 40 and 41, this kind of continues this same thought about what's going on early on in the ministry of Jesus. In Luke 40 and 41, it says, Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any uh, who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also uh, came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And so it's an understatement for me to stand here in front of each of you and to say that Jesus was no ordinary man because he was no ordinary man. There was something very special, and we can see it here in, the, in this ministry. When he spoke, demons fled. When he laid his hands on the sick, they were healed. When he preached, lives were changed. As you go down through Luke chapter 4, you can see that where Jesus was doing a lot of very powerful things in his ministry, that the people naturally wanted him to stay longer. They didn't want him to leave. You know, I think some were like, hey, why don't we just rent a room and you can just kind of be our doctor. When we have somebody sick, you can just lay your hands on them and they'll get all better. But over in uh, verse number 43 of Luke chapter 4, he said to the people, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. There's no doubt, we've already seen that miracles came from this man. Demons were exercised through his ministry. But he says the reason why he came, one of the purposes for the ministry of Jesus was to be about the preaching and the teaching of God's word. He wanted the message of God to be spread everywhere. 
And so that takes us to our second lesson. That was the overview of Luke. Now I want us to come to Luke chapter 8, and I want us to see the traveling king and his followers. Luke chapter 8 and verse number 1 says, Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Let's stop there for just a moment. Because what I want us to see here is that uh, Jesus, uh, his ministry, the reach and the scope of his ministry is starting to expand. It's starting to grow. He's no longer just exclusively in Galilee, but rather he is going outside that. He's moving from town to town, from village to village. And in these towns and villages, he would fulfill his purpose. One of his purposes for being here on earth to proclaim what he says is the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, what is the good news of the kingdom of God? You might be interested in hearing that the kingdom of God was the number one topic that Jesus spoke about in his earthly ministry. He spoke about this more than anything else. And in fact, in the first four books of the New Testament, Jesus mentions the word kingdom of God over 50 times. And so this was extremely important in this ministry of Jesus. And it might be hard for us to grasp a hold of in this day and time what Jesus could be referencing when he talks about the kingdom of God. Because when we think about a kingdom, we think about physical boundaries, don't we? We think about a national anthem. We might think about a country that has a flag, a country that has a military and infrastructure that allows it to be a nation. But this isn't what Jesus is talking about. Let me give you a a definition of what the, the kingdom of God is that I, that I really like. The kingdom of God is a spiritual rule. Did you pick up on that? It's, it's not a, a physical set of boundaries, but it's a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to his authority. Back in the book of Psalms uh, 103 and verse number 19 helps to really clarify this point about the kingdom because it's there where the psalmist says that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So God's kingdom is all about who and what rules our lives. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is all about who and what rules our lives. Maybe you can remember some of those other times in which Jesus spoke about his kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. You might be more familiar with the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, you've probably said it multiple times, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those verses, when Jesus speaks about the kingdom, is saying what I really like, what one blogger wrote, and he said it this way, there's a new king in town, and his name is Jesus. Don't you like that? There's a new king in town, and his name is Jesus. Now, that's helpful as we 
continue to see and to understand what the kingdom of God is. And Jesus is out proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And as we continue through Luke chapter 8 and looking at verses 2 and 3, we can see the effects and the impact and the results of what Jesus was doing as he was proclaiming the, the kingdom of God. Luke 8 verses 2 and 3 says, And also some women, so it was talking about the disciples who were following Jesus as he went about in his ministry, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their own means." Now, you're probably familiar with uh, the 12 disciples, right? The ones who were handpicked by Jesus. I I call them the big 12. But those weren't the only ones who were following Jesus or or who were a part of Jesus' traveling ministry. We can see here that there was a group of women who who also were following along with Jesus. And it's pretty obvious from these couple of verses that at one time in their lives, these women had some very serious problems. Uh, They had serious spiritual and physical and emotional and relational problems. Uh, In today's vernacular, these women were a hot mess, okay? But through an encounter with Jesus and by the personal surrender of their lives to him, They experienced healing and liberation and hope such as they had never experienced before in their lives. That's why I believe that the kingdom of God is good news. When it takes root in a person's heart, it begins to heal. It begins to set free. It begins to give hope. It begins to to bring life and truth and purpose to where there was none of that ever before. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. When it rules somebody's life, it has an impact. It brings about a result. And we can see it here in the lives of these women who traveled along with Jesus. And that's how the the kingdom of God advances. We hear about kingdom of God advancement God speaks his word through a variety of different sources. We uh, acknowledge our own personal brokenness and desperation for him to lead our lives. He powerfully ministers his grace and his truth that sets us free. And then we give him our hearts and surrender everything to him. And I love the little side note here when it comes to these women who were following Jesus, that they not only surrendered their lives and their hearts and their time to travel with Jesus, but they also surrendered financially in order to support the ministry of Jesus. Everything of theirs was now handed over and put in front of Jesus so that he could be their king and their leader and their friend. You see, God initiates and we respond. Jesus speaks and we respond to what it is, his word. 
says to us. And that takes us to our third point here this morning. And that is the parable of the sower. Let's look at the the parable of the seed and the soils as given to us in Luke chapter 8. Now, before we do that, let me just give you just a little overview of what we've already talked about here this morning. Jesus' ministry is getting a lot of attention. Um, Lots of lives are being changed. Miracles are happening. The good news of the kingdom of God is being preached from town to town and in every village. Now we see here in Luke 8, starting in verse number uh, 4, it says that when a great crowd was gathering, again, he was getting a lot of attention. People were starting to notice this man named Jesus. They were interested in what he was saying and what he was doing. So a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him and he said uh, in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, and he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, this is the 11th of 46 parables that Jesus presents throughout his three and a half years of ministry. And what I appreciate about this particular parable, and you probably will as well, is that Jesus does not leave this particular parable open for us to try to guess what it means. Because starting in verse number 11, Jesus actually explains just exactly what he's trying to say in this, par- in this parable. Because his disciples were often asking him, hey, Jesus, what is it that you meant by that? And so that's what they do with this parable, is they go to him and they ask, hey, Lord, can you explain to us what you meant? I mean, we, we understand, you know, the, the seed, we understand, you know, soils, but spiritually speaking, in context of your entire ministry, what is the message? What, what is the punchline of what you're trying to communicate to us. And I think that as we look at what Jesus said, you're going to see maybe a little bit of the answer to that question that I asked at the front of the message. And that is, what does God require of us, those who have received and understand that Jesus came to, to do what we could not do for ourselves? So let's go, let's go further. Let's go uh, into verse number uh, 11 uh, through, through 15. Luke 8, 11 says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. 
but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So the seed is the word of God. We've seen how Jesus is proclaiming the word of God. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is about communicating what it is that God wants people to hear. And so he's saying the seed is the word of God. Like like a, a farmer that is hand sowing seed, some catches the wind and it goes into different types of soils. So is the word of God. And as, as he said, I think here that not all of the, the soils are very positive. As a matter of fact, three out of the four soils doesn't sound very positive to me. You know, the, fir- the first kind of soil are those, according to Jesus, are those who give God the hand. You know what the hand is, right? Somebody's speaking. You don't want to hear what it is that they have to say. Or a master of disguises, this is what you're doing, and this is what I want you to do. And so that's this kind of soil right here. This is like the soil that's been trampled underfoot. It's the one who gives God the hand. We don't want to hear what it is that's being said in God's word. And the Bible is pretty clear that after a while, if Somebody continues to give God the hand. God, I don't want to hear what it is. And they resist what it is that God is saying. The Bible tells us, sadly enough, that God will stop talking, that he will stop acting on their behalf. Jesus said in the parable that the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. It's a, it's a very sad thing, and I don't know at what point that happens. Only God knows that. But if there's continual resistance to the word of God, if the hand goes up, then that's the type of soil that, that's, that does not receive the word of God, and God withdraws. The second type of soil, I believe, and I, I like to explain, to, to understand it in this way, are the early exiters. You, you know who an early exiter is, don't you? Have you ever been to a ball game? Have you ever been to a play? And, uh, you know, it's the, the, the home team is, is behind or the show is getting a little bit long. Uh, you've had all the fun that you can possibly have at this particular event. So now it's time to try to beat the traffic. And so, you know, you get people who are stepping over you and they're, they're dumping their drink, you know, on your lap or something like that because, you know, they've got to get out of the parking lot first. That, to me, kind of describes this particular soil that Jesus is speaking about. Um, the kind that want to move on. The, the, the type that maybe come in for just a brief time or they're interacting with the word of God. But now there's something else that I have to move on to. Now there's something else more important that needs to, to be looked into. You know, Jesus is pretty clear in his word that not every day as a follower of his is sunny and positive. It's not always entertaining and fun 
to be a follower of, of Jesus. And there are those who start to get into the grind of living out what they think is a Christian faith. And they're like, okay, I'm ready to, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to, to get on with something else. And so that type of soil is one who could be called an early exeter. Um, the, next, the next type of uh, <coughs> soil is what I would determine as those who are distracted or shiny object people. Uh, something seemingly better presents itself. Uh, so I can chase after that experience or that relationship or whatever it might be. Something else has come up at the expense of a relationship with God. There might be financial, there might be career, there might be relationship crisis. And uh, we think that we need to pour every ounce of our effort into that particular crisis that's going on in life at that moment. And over time, we start to drift away from the things of God. But there is a fourth kind of soil, and that's the good news. And this is what I believe to be the answer to the question that was presented up front. What is it that God requires of me? What is it that God wants from us for all he has done for us through Jesus Christ? This is found in the fourth soil. And Jesus calls it good soil. In verse number 15, Jesus says, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. What does God desire of us? God desires that we have open and tender and receptive hearts to him as king and as friend of our lives. Jesus came. There's nothing that we could ever do to repay him for everything that he has done for us. But he does ask for one thing, and that is he does ask for your heart. And he asks for your heart and for my heart to be open to him, to be open to his word, to be open to his truth, and to allow him to take over leadership of our lives. So if that is something that you struggle with, if that's something that you are here today and you identify with maybe one of the other three soils and not that last soil. I mean, we would like to all think that we're that fourth soil, but maybe there's an area in your life where you know that God has been trying to get, get your attention, where, where God has been attempting to um, get you to, to move in a different direction than the direction that you've been heading in. And, and maybe you've been resistant to that. There's a couple of points that I'd like to just provide to you. Just very, two very simple tips if you're one who is not as compliant to the Word of God in a particular area of your life. Number one, just be brutally honest with God. It is so refreshing to know that we have a God who created us, who can handle our honesty. He wants us to come to him with every struggle, with every question, with every challenge, 
don't be afraid to be just absolutely, brutally honest with God. If there's an area of your life that you're sensing you're holding back from him. And the prayer, the prayer can be as simple as this. Help me, Lord. Help me to be open and obedient to you in this particular area of my life. I don't want to fight any longer. I don't want to be in this conflict and this disagreement with you, God, any longer over this area of my life. But Lord, I need your help because I've been struggling through this now for a very long time. So the first tip that I'd give you if you're finding that your heart isn't as open to the word of God as he speaks it out in some way, in some form, is to go to God in brutal honesty. And then secondly, get, get a good Christian friend or better yet, get into a small group. Over the next couple of weeks, Area 10 is going to be rolling out our small groups. What better place than to get around a group of fellow strugglers and to be able to say, hey, there, there's this particular area of my life. Maybe you don't want to share all the details. That's perfectly fine. But get a, a trusted friend. Get into a small group and basically say, listen, I'm struggling to open my heart to God in this particular area. Will you please walk alongside me? Will you please try to bring me encouragement? I'll encourage you and you encourage me. <clears throat> We'll, we'll be honest with one another as we go through this journey of faith together, but I need some traveling companions. I need some people who are going to walk with me as I strive to please God and listen to God's word and do everything that it is that it says for me to do. Why don't we just have a word of prayer right now to just... Lord, we just want to come and we want to thank you, God, that your word is being spread everywhere all the time, not just when we go to church. But Father, your word is everywhere and it's near and it's coming through a variety of different sources. And Lord, we want to thank you for the, the powerful impact of what Jesus did and what Jesus continues to do today. Father, I want to pray for those here who are perhaps struggling to listen to your word and to do what it says. For those who up until this point have been resistant, perhaps in some area of life where they've struggled to follow you. I just want to pray, God, that you would minister to them in a very special way. I want to pray, Father, that each one of us who is here would open our hearts to you that we would be receptive to your word, that we would allow you to work in the way that you want to work in and through us. God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your power. And we thank you that you're still alive today, helping us and encouraging us and blessing us every step of the way. We just offer you our hearts and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.